0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu for more information. This is Mike Yusem, and today we're going to talk with uh, Dr. Larry Kaiser, who is the Chairman of the Department of Surgery and Surgeon-in-Chief for the University of Pennsylvania Health System. Larry is responsible for the services of more than 110 surgeons in his own department, and he leads one of the largest thoracic services in the country. Dr. Kaiser focuses on thoracic oncology, including lung cancer, and he's published more than 300 articles and nine books in the area, including the Atlas of General Thoracic Surgery. Dr. Kaiser has also built and led a significant expansion of the university's surgical services during the past seven years. And among other steps, he has formed a leadership advisory council to guide his many initiatives. So, Larry, welcome to our dialogue here. And I'm going to begin with really uh, your own experience in a leadership role that you've been playing here as chairman of the Department of Surgery since the year 2001. And if you could just talk through briefly here the actions you have taken to expand the university's surgical services during your years in this position. What have been the critical steps and what kind of resistance or conflict have you encountered along the way?
1: In terms of critical steps, one, one thing that I might bring up To ascend to a role like this, there is no specific preparation that surgeons have, or for that matter, any physicians have, that necessarily prepare you for a a leadership role. So those of us who, who come to these roles, come to it in different ways, to be sure. I think, from our standpoint, I took over a department that had been led by the same individual for 18 years. And... When my predecessor took on this job, being a surgical chair was a lot different than the time that I took on this job, and the priorities were different, the expectations were different, and specifically, because we are so influenced by the reimbursement rates, specifically determined for us, not by us, the landscape had changed significantly. At a time when my predecessor took over, the money was flowing in. There was no issue with professional fees. By the time I took over in 2001, professional fees had been reduced significantly. Uh, The Balanced Budget Act of uh, 1997 uh, was well into play. Uh, Hospitals were having a difficult time. I took over at a time when the health system was just in the midst of beginning a recovery from a very difficult time in the 90s. So it was a very different time for someone to take on a leadership position. But we had a vision, which I think I articulated fairly well to the faculty as to, to where I wanted to see us go, and, and we set about doing that. And, and to do that did require some significant changes in, in leadership. So for instance the my predecessor was the chairman of the department he was also the chief of the division of vascular surgery he was also the chief of the division of transplant surgery and he was the program director for the general surgery residency so i was immediately faced with making these appointments and not without some perhaps opposition i would say i mean there were clearly people in each of those divisions who felt that they should be the leaders of those divisions so Right away, I was faced with making some some critical decisions that I knew would would have a major influence uh, as we moved forward. I, I think from there it was really a matter of of setting the tone, and I think the tone under my leadership was significantly different than that of my of my predecessor. Um, I, as distinct from many surgical chairs in the country, still maintain a busy clinical practice, and at the time I had a very busy clinical practice. And I think in terms of leadership in a department of surgery like this, the credibility that one gains by still being a busy practicing surgeon can't really be overestimated. I think that people see what you're doing. They know I'm in the operating room. I'm doing the same things that they're doing. It's very easy for chairs of clinical departments to remove themselves from the from the clinical piece and really be seen I think by their faculty somewhat as a as an outsider. So I so I had some credibility coming into this job, but by and large I knew the landscape fairly well and I think that really provided me some some advantage. In terms of the kinds of resistance I think that my constituency that is a group of surgeons tend to be a fairly difficult group to work with and I don't think you could find a greater accumulation of cynics than you would find in a Department of Surgery, and certainly in this Department of Surgery. And and one of the first things that I did was put into place an organizational structure that previously didn't exist in this department. And that included things like having regular meetings of the faculty, which previously had not been held, um, meetings of the division chiefs on a biweekly basis, something that had never been done. I also had hired a chief operating officer who came with a considerable amount of experience who really helped in terms of my own leadership development as well as in really formulating the organizational structure that previously had not had not been in place. And I think as much as anything having put together an organizational structure that was transparent and reporting relationships were quite clear. I think as much as anything really set us on the right path.
0: Hmm. Let me pick up on your observations about the style of the people that you have working with you here. To the outside world, surgeons are often seen as a well-paid, hard-charging, fairly authoritative group of people. And as they walk into the operating room, to what extent does this, at least this perception that many people have as surgeons, if true, get in the way of the teamwork and the flexibility required in
1: the operating theater? I think you correctly point out that all surgeons are, whether on the surface hard charging or not, all surgeons have to have some basic leadership ability. That is something as simple as seeing a patient... Recognizing what they need to have done, putting a team together to do an operation on a patient requires some leadership skill, albeit not the same as leadership skills when looking at a at the bigger picture. But still, the surgeon is the leader of the team, and any day a surgeon is in the operating room, he is leading. He or she is leading a a team. So so right off, you're dealing with people who see themselves in leadership roles, and by definition do come with some skepticism of being told what to do by others and for that matter being led by others as many of them are quite independent and that independence is sort of fostered on a daily basis so i think the challenge for someone leading a department like this is to is really just to to be able to set the course and then to engage people in that vision and to join you in in really pursuing uh, the course. And, and I think one of the things that that I did at the beginning was to make it very clear where I thought this department needed to go, the kinds of things that I thought we needed to do, recognizing that we had some tremendous advantages here. We had a large research endowment that had been built up over many, many years. The first endowed chair of surgery in the country is the chair that I now hold, so the endowment goes back to really the mid-1800s. There's really no other department of surgery in the country that has the type of resources that we have in terms of, of endowment income that we can use for research purposes.
0: Let me ask about the experience of your own and your fellow surgeons in the operating room with teams that are constantly changing. So as you walk in, it may be a different anesthesiologist from the day before. The residents, the technicians, the nurses working with you are ever-changing. To establish your own authority, to build the teamwork needed, to work with this team in the operating room, what does it take? What what are the leadership qualities that are essential to make that happen?
1: Well, I think it takes somebody who is very confident in one's own abilities. I think you're correct in your perception that often we are working with different people uh, on a daily basis. The problem is that much of what we do is based on teamwork and we've had a major emphasis in this department as well as other departments around the country on patient safety. And in order to really achieve optimal patient safety, especially in the operating room, really does take a team approach. So on the one hand, if we're working with different people each day, one has to very quickly be able to form a team, work closely with that team. But we do that by standardizing a lot of the things that we do in the operating room. Ideally, there is some consistency on the team, even if it's not every member. So for instance, I work with one scrub nurse essentially every day I'm in the operating room, despite the fact I may be working with a lot of other different people, certainly different anesthesia people, different residents, different anesthesia residents, different technicians. So, yes, there are a lot of people who are different, but then we try to maintain some level of consistency on the team as well. And often that individual is the one who's saying, here's how we do it. So, yes, it is a challenge, but it's a challenge that we need to meet every day because of the tremendous emphasis we place on patient safety.
0: Two separate questions here. What's the most challenging part of being in the operating room? Again, from a leadership standpoint, and then really a separate question, same words. What's the most challenging aspect of your service as department chair and surgeon in chief?
1: Well, I think they both relate, Mike. I think one case may not be exactly like another case. There are different challenges that we face in the operating room each day. I think for me, one of the challenges is I have a lot of issues going on outside of the operating room, and I need to be able to sort of put those behind me as I go into the operating room, recognizing that I'm going to be out of commission with respect to leading the department while I'm in the, the operating room. On the other hand, things don't happen minute to minute leading a department like this but uh, they do happen minute to minute uh, in the operating room. So the the challenge is sort of working in different environments, totally different environments, working as a department chair, outside of the operating room, working inside of the operating room, really two different roles, yet I think the the leadership piece um, bears a lot of similarities. And I sort of learned that lesson early on when I was asked a question about a surgical pathology issue, and it was even before I had officially started the job as chairman and I made a statement about some of the surgical pathology service and it sort of got around and it came back to me that the department of surgery had spoken not Larry Kaiser had spoken and I learned quickly that one has to be fairly careful how you how you phrase things because it's now the department of surgery speaking as opposed to just one individual speaking and whereas in the operating room yes I'm functioning as an individual as part of a team but Outside of the operating room, I'm really functioning as the Department of Surgery as such, and I'm seen as representing that department.
0: Larry, surgeons have often been seen as one of the engines of income for a hospital, an engine of growth, if you will. Uh, With the government cracking down, though, on Medicare payments, uh, is this still true? Will it be true in the future? What's the role of the Department of Surgery here and elsewhere? In serving as a major source of income for hospitals?
1: There's absolutely no question that procedural specialties, especially departments of surgery, still are the major driver of margin for hospitals. And they are the major drivers of revenue. It's the activity in the operating room that drives the revenue of healthcare organizations. There's absolutely no question about it. That being said, we have to differentiate between revenue being generated on the hospital side and revenue being generated by, the, by professional fees generated by the practice of, of surgery. On the one hand, we've seen some significant decreases in reimbursement for the professional service side of things. But the hospitals, and if you look across the country, by and large hospitals are still doing well based on revenue from procedures and specifically the dominant procedures are those that occur in the operating room as well as in the cath labs and other places. You then have to look at the direct costs that are involved in supporting those activities, but by and large, if you look at the services that drive hospital revenue, it is still the surgical services that do that, and I think that's going to be the case um, for a long time Mm. to come.
0: Looking back over the last decade, thinking about surgery as a specialty, what are some of the changes in the profession that you have been part of, have witnessed, have seen? Second part to the question, is surgery as appealing to medical students as it has been historically? Is it still as appealing now? Third aspect or third question here is the entry of more women into surgery. Is there a trend that you've seen over the last couple of years of more women coming into surgical specialties?
1: I think in terms of how the specialty has changed, and when we talk about surgeries especially, we're talking about really multiple areas of specialization, and it's also the issue that, that's driven hospital costs, and for that matter healthcare costs, so markedly, and that is the improvement in technology, and what we've seen is a marked shift in the kinds of things that we're able to do, and especially in high-priced technology. So if you look at what has occurred over now the past almost 20 years with the shift toward more minimally invasive approaches to operative procedures and the technology that's involved in that, we now are doing many operations with robotics, very expensive piece of equipment, yet what that's allowed us to do is to work through very small incisions, allowing patients to leave the hospital earlier, allowing patients to have less pain following a surgical procedure, and the classic example of that is prostatectomies. So now with robotic prostatectomies, you have a very expensive piece of equipment, but it also allows one to do the operation where the pain from the operation, the recovery from the operation is significantly quicker, and it's really a better operation. You'd asked me a little bit about medical students, and just briefly, fifty oh, yes. percent of medical student graduates or medical school graduates these days are women. And surgery, in the past, had been a field where women had not, at least in general, been attracted to it. I think. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that we've worked on is making the field more attractive to women. Uh, family issues are particularly important for both men and women. And it, when you survey medical students, lifestyle issues really are, are the key to choosing a specialty. And I think we've worked very hard to try to convince people that, um, that one can have a very active and um, satisfying lifestyle um, and yet still be a surgeon. There are a number of specialties in surgery uh, that one can choose from, and we hope to continue making our specialty uh, as appealing to as many people as possible. But the numbers would show that fewer people, far fewer people, are entering surgery now than uh, than in the past, especially certain areas. We've had a tremendous problem in cardiothoracic surgery in attracting people into the specialty, and that really is one of the biggest challenges that we face mm. in that field currently. And to what do you attribute that decline Again, I think the lifestyle issues, there's a perception that um, that the lifestyle in cardiothoracic surgery may be uh, somewhat limiting. And also, I, I think one has to deal with the issues that uh, reimbursement is not what it was. And people are looking at perhaps 10 years of training following medical school, and when the rewards are not quite what they used to be, and you can do other specialties and have a much... Uh, nicer style of life, I think the other specialties are just attracting more people who used to be interested or who previously would have gone into cardiothoracic surgery.
0: Got two final questions here to wrap up. Looking back at your last six or seven years here as chair of the surgery department, what's, what's the best part of the job? What's the toughest
1: part of the job? In terms of the best part of the job and the most challenging parts of the job, The best parts of a job like this are being able to work with a tremendously talented uh, group of people and seeing them excel and seeing how well the department can do. I think when you take a job like this, uh, you have to be willing to sort of sacrifice your own personal goals for the goals really of the department and one has to derive the major satisfaction from seeing how the department itself does how other individuals do and i've been tremendously satisfied to see us produce some incredible individuals here as well as to see this department do extremely well and from that you know i derive a tremendous amount of satisfaction i think the most challenging parts of this job you know there's i serve a lot of a lot of different masters and um, and that that can sometimes be challenging. I, I have the health system where I have concerns. I have the School of Medicine where I have concerns. Uh, I have my own patients where I have concerns. So I, I think you have to be willing to be able to deal with multiple constituencies. Certainly not everybody sees things the way I see things. Um, I think it's been a, a challenge Um to work with various groups of people, it's a very satisfying challenge. But it's it's clearly a um, it's clearly a challenge. The other thing, of course, is we we have a lot of non surgeons who are employees in this department and. You know, we've got to create an environment in this department where people want to come to work. None of us could do this without having administrative assistants and nurses and technical people who want to to work with us. And I'm pleased to say we've really created an environment here where people like working. We have very, very low attrition in this department. So I think that's the most challenging part.
0: Larry, one final question for you here. If a professional friend were to call you up, he or she has an offer to become chair of a surgical department at a major medical center or hospital around the country, or abroad for that matter. In light of your experience in leading this department and this university medical center, what advice would you have? What what personal guidance would you provide the person?
1: Well, I've certainly been called upon to, to offer that advice. Um, I think it's a great job for the right individual. I, I don't think being a chair of a major department is right for everybody. I think What I'm looking for, if somebody asks me that question, is what that individual's motivation really is. If they truly are motivated by the desire to surround themselves with talented people and to get their satisfaction by how the department does and how other individuals do, and they're willing to really put their own individual needs behind them, then I think it's a great job. But if somebody is in the midst of a tremendous research career and they think that they can continue being successful in their research career just as they had been and yet still lead a major department, I think it's probably not the right job and I think that they would find some significant frustration. So I I think for the right individual who's at the right point in their career, it can be tremendously satisfying. I get up every day looking forward to coming to work. It's a great job. For me, it's
0: ideal. Larry, thank you. Appreciate your taking the time to talk with us today. This is Mike Hussein talking with Dr. Larry Kaiser here at the University of Pennsylvania Health System. Thanks, Larry. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.